Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us again this week. And we are in this wonderful study from Warren Litzman called It's Jesus, Just Jesus. What a fantastic study this is. And we appreciate you being with us. We're going into part number three today here on this 174th podcast of Loving the Christ Life. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Let us return for just a moment to the council that's taking place between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The final agreement out of that meeting was that the Father wanted children of His own. He wanted to birth them Himself. He literally wanted to put His sperm, as Peter says, into the human being. Christ is the only one who ever pleased the Father. So He becomes the identification point of the seed of God. What an awesome thing. God is going to birth His own children. The Holy Spirit sitting by is given the unbelievable task of trying to explain to humanity what God is doing. It is His task to tell this person who accepts Jesus as their Savior for all different reasons that the one thing that's happened to you that's important is that God has rebirthed His Son in you. In other words, you are not pleasing to God. The only one who has ever been pleasing to God is Christ. Get that in your mind. Because we got all kinds of people running around over the earth thinking they are somebody. They are something. A fellow called me on the phone the other day and said, The Lord just showed me you're a prophet. What do you think of that? I said, Well, I'm thinking, well, I want to step down from being a son to be a prophet. Because Christ is all. Christ is the center. Christ is the life. There's no place for me in that other than being a recipient. There's no place for me in grace other than receiving it. That's all you can do is receive grace. You can do nothing else about it. So the Holy Spirit was given the task of explaining all this. He is nothing within Himself in God's plan. He is simply the teacher. For those of you that have a hard time with that statement, study Three chapters out of John's Gospel, chapters 14, 15, and 16. Study them. Mark the seven times that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a teacher. That will help you. Because once the Holy Spirit came, He became everything but what Jesus said He was going to be. He is not our power. Christ is my life and my strength. The Holy Spirit's power is knowledge. You understand that? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's power. The most powerful thing about a believer is what he knows. Because what he knows is who he is. That's Christ. That's the most powerful thing about a believer. The power in a believer is not to do, it's to be. God never intended that we do great things to prove who we were. I had an old friend in the healing ministry who used to advertise himself by saying, how can I do these great works of God if I have not been called of God? And that always irritated me even when I didn't believe what I do now. Because that didn't seem right. Who are we? We should have gone to hell. We're no count, no good. We're no different than any other worlds that God has ever had, if He had them. We're no different. The difference in us was that God decided to rebirth us. And the seed is Christ. So He put His seed in us and He rebirthed the human being into being what He wanted him to be. 
We'll get to that a little later. But what has happened now in this plan is that God is a just God. When will He start this awesome plan? Does He know that Adam's going to sin? Sure He does. Does He know that in Adam's sin, the whole human race that He creates will be drawn into it and become recipients of Adam's seed of disobedience to God? That they all will be born into sin from that moment? Sure He does. As early as the third chapter of Genesis, He says that one day the head of the devil will be beat down by one who hangs on a cross. So keep that in mind. Because as we go through the next 4,000 years of Scripture, we see the ups and downs of humanity. Some great, some not so great. But all humanity fails in one way or another. We have five dispensations in the Old Testament that are filled with nothing but failure. Adam and Eve in the dispensation of their day failed. It only lasted about a week. But they miserably failed and drew the whole human race into their sin. The dispensation of conscience was probably the longest period. But man miserably failed there. The dispensation of promise, man failed. The dispensation of law, man failed. All the way through the Scripture, you'll find verses that end those dispensations that speak of the failure of that dispensation. Why didn't God introduce this plan to them? Why didn't David have this plan? He couldn't write about Christ being in him. Why didn't Abraham have this plan? He couldn't write about Christ being in him. Why didn't Isaiah, the great prophet, have this plan? He couldn't. It wasn't God's time. He didn't know a thing about what God was going to do. They were still by their own efforts trying to please God. They were still as human beings trying to obey God within themselves. God knew that would fail if He had a devil or Lucifer living right in His house to whom He had given every gift and every power and right in the presence of God day and night, and He failed, surely God knew that not Abraham and Sarah, not David, not anybody could ever please Him. Not anybody would ever have that love affair. So He waited. What is the period of waiting? 4,000 years in the Old Testament, almost 4,400 years. What is the period of waiting before God did anything about His plan? It obviously is that He is proving to Himself that human beings within themselves can never please God. Now, I use the word religion lots. I use it often. I never use religion in a good light. I never use it as a good word. Because the definition of religion is anybody who within themselves are trying to please God. That's what religion is. Religion is you doing something and by doing it, thinking that you can please God by what you have done. So religion is an adverse idea to the fact of being rebirthed. In religion, people who are still trying on their own to do something to please God have never been rebirthed. Or if they have been rebirthed, they are miserably ignorant of who they are and who God is. That kind of sums up our relationship in the world. This is why we're hated by a lot of so-called Christians. Who do you think you are? you think you're better than us? Do you think you're elite? We don't really think of ourselves as that at all. But if I have Christ in me, and by Christ in me I have been made a bona fide offspring of God, then I ought to be a little different. There ought to be something about me that's different. There ought to be something in my thinking that's different. There ought to be something in my works that are different. If I've actually been birthed by God, there ought to be something different. Don't you think so? There ought to be something different about us. Well, God went 4,400 years before He did anything. Then His master stroke was, I'll send my Son down to the earth 
And first, he's going to deal with all those people I've made promises to. Abraham. Children of Israel. All these things I've made promises to. In fact, God could have said, I've made four covenants with Israel that I've never fulfilled because Israel is so contrary. I need their abiding with my covenant. And they hadn't done it. So there were four covenants. The Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant and the uh, New Covenant in Jeremiah. Four covenants. Don't remember all of them. But the purpose of these covenants was a big reason why God sent His Son. Because His Son is going to gather together these people to whom God made these promises. And among the promises is they're going to have a new heart. They're going to own the land. They're going to rule the world. They're going to be the number one nation. They're going to be God's chosen people. So He felt an obligation to keep His Word. And He sent His Son on that basis. And so when His Son has His first meeting with His followers, He says to them, that I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach to them that the kingdom is at hand. I'm going to do what I said I'd do way back in Abraham's day. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep my covenant. You're not going to be under the Romans anymore. You're going to own this land. You're going to be the people of the land. You're going to be God's people on this earth with a new heart, new spirit, new life. I'm going to do it. So he sent his son, who was the king of the kingdom, the Messiah, long awaited by Israel for at least 1,700 years, long awaited in the Scriptures back to Genesis 3. He's come. The one that's going to beat the head of the devil and take over has come. And you know what happens? Nothing. As to the first reason Jesus came, nothing happened. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. To this day, Israel hasn't received Him. To this day, Israel still lacks the fulfillment of four covenants. But you know what? A horrible, unbelievers, erroneous thing took place. A lot of believers who were saved, who did not know Christ lived in them, said, you know what we can do? We can pick up those promises that belong to Israel and apply them to the church and we'll please God. So what happened? The modern church picked up the kingdom message that belonged to Israel and has been trying to preach it. That's okay. They can get blessings out of a lot of things they preach. But the one horrible thing they do by that The kingdom message denies the in Christ truth. And so all these believers working to get more faith, more power, more this, more that, have ignored the Christ that is in them, and that's failure in God's plan on their part. Enough of that. He comes, He's denied. And as I said... The remarkable change in the Christ life takes place in John 12th chapter. It's there on Palm Sunday that he, re- that he brings forth the realization that the plan doesn't work. The plan will not work. His own have not received him. He's going to be killed. And ironically, many of them turned away from Jesus because he talked about his death. You know why there was such a little handful of people at the cross when Jesus died? For instance, I've always preached uh, things like, Where is Bartimaeus? Where is the wild man of Gadara? Where is the woman taken in sin? Where are all these people raised from the dead? Why aren't they there at the cross honoring Him? It's because they felt the whole thing was a failure because the Messiah could not die. That's been an overlapping thing through the centuries. You know why so many of the modernistic Christian people don't preach the cross? Because they're just like Israel of old. They think it just doesn't fit to talk about death. 
People come to me all the time and say, well, I was listening to this preacher on television and he had a pretty good message, but said there were two things. He seldom ever mentioned Jesus and he never mentioned the cross. I talk to television preachers and I say, why don't you mention the cross? I said, I can't do that. I don't want to have a bloody message out there to hinder my crowd. So he'll help send them all to hell because you cannot be saved except by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. See how ignorant we are? We have no idea what God's plan is. We have no idea what God is doing. We just kind of beat around the bush and pick up a little thing here and a little thing there. And you know what? The general public is so ignorant. I can talk about America because I know it better than any place else. America has been so dumbed down. If Jesus of Nazareth came to town, they'd put him in jail. They'd all go on radio and television and talk against him. I'm telling you, Christians would probably do that. They don't know the gospel. They don't know who Jesus is. We're living in a world that doesn't know our Lord. He came. He didn't win Israel over. He died and alienated Israel as a nation from him in his death because Israel had a hand in his death. They didn't kill him, but they had a hand in it. God, by His grace, in the book of Acts, did His best to restore Israel. That's what happened. When you read in there those wonderful sayings that they all came together, they were all in one accord, great numbers appeared, thousands of people joined the church. Every day the Lord added to the church such as He... What is He doing here? In the end, He's going to offer Israel the kingdom one more time. Now, you need to understand this statement of offering the kingdom. Peter offered the kingdom on the day of Pentecost. He said, this same Jesus whom you have crucified is Lord and Savior. Peter never preached the cross. He never preached the cross. That's as close as he came to it. What is that statement? That's the statement that you all got rid of the Messiah, who is to be the king of the kingdom. He offered it once again. And many of them accepted and believed. But who was it that didn't believe? It was the nation. It was Nicodemus. It was the hierarchy of Judaism. It was the Sanhedrin. For Jesus to have been accepted, the Sanhedrin would have been the group that says, yes, this is the Messiah, we accept Him. The whole world would have changed. But they didn't accept it. So, one other time we believe. Somewhere in the middle of the book of Acts, we believe that the kingdom was offered one more time to Israel. She's rejecting her future, her everything. She doesn't know that. She's hard-headed. She's going to stay in her religion. You ever meet anybody like that? They're going to stay in what they believe, even if it's death. Israel made the choice. And finally, Paul could say, there's no more gospel for Israel. There is no more kingdom message. Too bad our charismatic friends haven't heard this. There is no more kingdom message. There is no more offer of the covenants. We've got all these churches that are going into covenant ministries. Draw back from them. It doesn't belong to the born again. The born agains have only one covenant, and that's not one you have to act on. That's one that God did and didn't ask you if He could do it. Gave it to you anyhow. And that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There are no covenants for the born again to keep them as they are. So don't get mixed up in that. Because the kingdom was set aside. The covenants were set aside. There's a whole new race of people. There's a whole new program for them in what I call the final gospel given to us by Paul. Well, then what will happen? What will happen to this meeting that took place before time began where we were chosen to be in Christ and the Lamb was promised to be slain before the foundation of the earth? What happened to that meeting? That meeting begins to take on its appearance once again 
in Acts 28.28. Three-fourths of the Scriptures are set aside in that statement. Not disannulled, not made wrong. All Scripture is inspired and of the Lord. But three-fourths of the Scriptures are set aside by Acts 28.28. What is that? That's all of the Scripture that has to do with Israel. Set aside. Be picked up again at the latter part of the tribulation period. You and I are gone. And be honored and operated during the millennium. But because there's going to be a new group of people that God will birth Himself, He will not use any of the foundation, any of the teaching, any of the works out of 4,400 years of dealing with humanity. He will begin a whole new program centered in such scriptures 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. What is that? That's a different gospel. That has nothing to do with Abraham. Paul writes about Abraham and his faith. And that's very ironical. Some of you Bible students may be interested in knowing this little tidbit of what Paul calls faith in the book of Hebrews. And his purpose in Hebrews is showing that nobody is bigger or greater than Jesus Christ. That's another message. We ought to get into that sometime. But did you know what? The word faith is only used two times in the Old Testament. And neither time is it the kind of faith where you believe to get something. Isn't that ironical? And yet you'd think by every preacher who preaches of the faith of Abraham and the faith of Moses and the faith of David, they slew the giants, they lived in lion's dens, they did this and that. Look at their great faith. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. Be careful of your Scripture and what people do with it. It's an ironical thing about how the Holy Spirit gives us Scripture how it comes about. But I said that has nothing to do with anything other. might be interesting for you to know that. The time has come. God's going to make Jesus the life of the human being. As we already talked about in our last session yesterday, five things would introduce this to humanity that had to do with Jesus of Nazareth. And to show you the remarkable change that comes in the life of Jesus of Nazareth at John 12 and 24, you have to remember these five things. Because from then on, five things have happened that have never happened before in history. One, at Gethsemane, we'll be poured into Christ. In His body, He'll bear our sin. We will be crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. We will be dead with Christ. We will be in Him in His death. In Him in His crucifixion. In Him in Gethsemane. In Him in His burial. In Him in His resurrection. And in Him in His ascension. So the whole plan has changed. God's not doing this for you and I. God did this for Jesus because He'll... Be the new life. He didn't change us. He never intended to change us. He never intended to deal with us like Old Testament saints. Not to make us obedient. Not to make us sinless. Not to make us good. Not to give us great power. He never intended that. He never intended to deal with you. He never has dealt with you. He dealt with somebody else that was to be your life. Just Jesus. 
just Jesus. Do you see the irony of modern religion? we got all these people saved, running around with Christ in them, trying to do something godly themselves. That gets me all heated. You understand that? That's where religion is. It's way off base. It's trying to get us all to do something to be a good Baptist, to be a good Catholic, to be a good whatnot. That isn't God's plan at all. His plan was to never correct these people. He isn't in the business of correcting you. He's given you another life. The only thing He asked you to do is get a mind to go with that life. Because He's never going to judge you on the basis of you anymore. Now that sets hard, doesn't it? My, my, you're thinking about all kinds of things. Christ has been made unto us in our rebirthing to be our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. He does not deal with you. He dealt with His Son. Well, you say, how in the world can we ever enter into that? Simply, you were in Him when He died. Your old life to God has been buried. You were in Him when He was buried. You didn't know that? Well, that's the gospel. All this other junk we've been hearing is a compilation of material where men sat down and tried to figure out what they wanted people to do. And so the Baptist said, well, we want you to join our church by being baptized in water. The Catholic said, we want you to join our church because we're the only church. The Presbyterian said, we want you to join our church because we believe those that do that are predestinated. The charismatic said, we want you to join our church because you'll do great works and we'll get a lot of money out of you. You see what happened? Everybody sat down and wrote their own program. See? That's why when you go join somebody's church, you have to see sure what they believe. They'll stick it in front of you. Here, you're going to believe this. Take it home pray about it. You're going to be one of us. You've got to believe this. No, Jesus. No, Jesus. You know what happened to every one of you the moment you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? You were placed by a Holy Spirit baptism. Not water baptism, but a Holy Spirit baptism into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. You were put into Christ. You've never been anywhere else. You can join a dozen churches. A fellow said to me the other day, he said, I have been baptized at least ten times in my lifetime. And he said, I don't ever feel any different. I said, good. <laughs> That's the best thing you could ever say because that didn't have a thing to do with you being in the true church. I said, you're just trying to be like somebody else. Now you need to take some time to be like the Christ that lives in you. So, we come to the crucial point. The point of all eternity. The most important point. Israel is set aside. Israel will never be God's birth people. That's what she forfeited. Don't you see what an ignoramus thing it is for Christians to say they're going to be Christian Jews? That's ignorance. Why would you want to do that? She set aside. Israel as a nation will never enjoy so great a salvation as we have unless she accepts Jesus Christ as her Savior and is born again. And if she does that, she's no longer a Jew.
She's no longer a Jew. So as I've told you before, there's no such thing as a Jewish Christian. You can't be. You can't be a Christian and a Jew. You can be a Jew who becomes a Christian, but you can't be a Jewish Christian. Paul said, in Christ, there are no Jews. So Israel is set aside. She will always be an earthly people till there's a new heaven and a new earth. If that bothers you, listen to what I'm saying. There will never be an earthly people other than Israel, and Israel will be an earthly people to the end. Why? God chose them to be an earthly people. He chose them to give them the land, to give them the power, to give them the things of this earth. She will have it. She'll rule and reign in the millennium. But she will never be a heavenly people until there's a new heaven and a new earth. And we have no Scripture at that point as to what will happen to any of us. Well, what's taking place in God's plan now? <clears throat> We've come to a juncture that Israel is set aside. The old gospel did not bring Israel to the Lord. And how can the Lord use it again? He won't. He doesn't. Just a lot of ignorant preachers are picking up things here and there and commingling. They commingle Scripture to what they're saying has no meaning in any way they commingle it. So what happened? Very simple thing. In Acts 9, when the final aspects of the kingdom are being seen, God does the most remarkable thing He has done outside of sending Jesus to this earth. He's got to have a preacher. He's got to have a teacher. He's got to have a voice. He's got to have a human being. And so he chooses the meanest man on earth. And on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus is knocked down, struck blind, and God talks to him out of heaven and says, I have need of you. And Paul answers back and says, Lord, that's the big word, what would you have me to do? And so the first time on this earth, since that awesome meeting in glory where they made the plan, the first part of the plan will be known. Now the plan has already functioned by the in Christ position. In Christ, in Gethsemane, in Christ, in burial, in Christ, in resurrection. But now the message is going to be known. And God chooses the meanest man on earth to give the message to. That's ironical. That's a trick God plays on religion because religion preaches that everybody that has some of God can get more of God. So they teach abundant life. No such thing. There's either the Christ life or no life because it comes by birthing. Birthing doesn't come in bits, pieces, and parts. You get it or you don't get it. You're pregnant or you're not pregnant. It's one or the other. So you have Christ in you. Now we need a voice to talk about that. So Paul has given some experiences. We said yesterday, he gets mixed up with the Pentecostals because Ananias is a good Pentecostal brother and takes him to the Pentecostal groups there where he is and, and in Damascus and, and they have a good time and Paul begins to preach. He begins to preach Christ's resurrection because he sees now that that Jesus whom he hated and fought against so long and killed believers who followed him, is real. So he preached he's risen from the grave. But along the way, the deep thing in his heart and life begins to pull him in another direction. He writes some of the things he envisioned at Corinth about the gifts of the Spirit and so forth. But even at that, in the 13th chapter, he says these things are just part. This, this is not what God's intention is. This is part of the Old Testament regimen. This is the way they always were. They all had special gifts. They all had special power. They all were special. No more of this. That 
which is in part, is going to be done away with. So in about three years from the time he saved on the road to Damascus to the time that he's led back to Damascus and from Damascus goes into Arabia, the greatest thing that ever happened to a human being takes place in Arabia. He waits before God. And in Galatians 1 and 16, you better mark it if you haven't. When it pleased God, oh, don't you see something here? It's all culminating. Everything that happened before the world began, everything that happened in the the council in heaven before Adam and Eve was born or created, never born, but just created, Everything that happened in that council between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit surfaces at a sudden moment in the desert of Arabia. For here in this desert, Paul is going to voice it. When it voice it, when it pleased God. You see what's in those words? This isn't something Paul found by fasting and prayer. This isn't something Paul read in the book of Abraham or the book of Barnabas, or some other book, and discovered that this is a great thing? No! When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, for I've been called of God for a special task from the first breath I drew, even though I was a mean man, even though I killed followers of Christ, even though I wanted a seat on the Sanhedrin, even though I thought I was somebody, From my first breath, I see it now. I was called by God. I'm going to stop right there because as important as I've made that concerning Paul, it is the same with you. For every one of you in this room have been called by God. You have pleased God to come this far in grace. It pleased God to get you here. Often somebody says to me, how in the world I get mixed up in that? It pleased God. How in the world I start listening to this fellow Litchman? It pleased God. You ought to have enough sense now to know I'm just a little voice. A very little voice. But it pleased God. How did I come to this realization that another lives in me? It pleases God. Pleasing to God. Do you see it? That's why you're here. That's why some of you have had radical life changes. That's why some of you are in the process of being changed. I thought when Denise got up and talked about people who still couldn't commit money to the Christ life, and we've never asked you to do this. I haven't. I don't care whether you give a dime or not. If you don't think any more of this message than that, that's between you and the Lord. Because I live by the message. I live by bringing this message, and that's how God supports me. But I thought, how can people anywhere in this world know that Christ lives in them and not help others to know about it? We're a focal point for that. How much other literature do you get in South Africa on the Christ life? How many preachers on television do you get that's preaching the Christ life? Oh, they'll say a word here and there about being in Christ, but I don't mean they know anything about it. I was like that for years. Well, the meanest man God could have chosen was Paul. When it pleased God. Had nothing to do with Abraham. Had nothing to do with David. Had nothing to do with Isaiah. Had nothing to do with John the Baptist. It had nothing to do with the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth before John 12. It was separate, distinct, and different than anything God had ever done. However, there's one little exception. One little exception. I told you that four-fifths of your Bible is based on Israel and God's dealing with the earthly people. Where'd that message come from? 
Who is it that brought that message? How did it start? By one other man God miraculously chose. Moses. There have only been two people that God have miraculously used to bring a gospel to this earth. Moses and the Apostle Paul. God gave Moses the commandments upon which was based the law, which rules four-fifths of your Bible. When God called the Apostle Paul, where did he get his message? From Jesus Himself. Who gave him all those revelations? Jesus Himself. Who talked to Him? Jesus Himself. Did Jesus talk to Him about Abraham? Nope. About the Old Testament? Nope. Did Jesus talk to Him about His earthly ministry? Did He say to Paul, Now, Paul, remember what I did over in Galilee. Remember what I did on the mountain. Remember what happened to me in this town or that town. Not one word of it. So when Paul writes his epistles, he has not one word to write about Jesus of Nazareth before John 12. Why? That was the gospel that went to the kingdom. Paul's calling is entirely new. He's getting a gospel that comes directly from Jesus Christ. And while many times I have called Christ's ministry as Jesus of Nazareth, He's bringing the gospel. In fact, it is referred to as the gospel of Jesus Christ by many writers and even by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But that's not the final gospel from Jesus. Because when Jesus gave the message to Paul, it had nothing to do with the previous gospel. I have an old friend that's passed on. He and I used to preach together. He started what we call the Rhema Movement. I knew him well. We worked together. He and I started out as young fellows in little churches before we went to big churches. I can remember many a talk I had with him. Wonderful man of God. But he said, we cannot preach Paul because he doesn't have faith. That's kind of the way our modern world is divided now. You either have faith or you don't have faith. If you have faith, you'll never have trouble. And ironically, I grew up with all of our great preachers in America that were healers and deliverance preachers and miracle workers, and I'm about the only one left. (laughs) Wonderful men of God, but I've outlived most of them. Nothing to that. That's to, to your glory up there, not me. Jesus, go brag of my own. He chose one man and gave him this message. It only comprises one-fifth of your Bible. Not even a fourth. The gospel that belongs to the heavenly people, the gospel that belongs to the born again, is found in only one-fifth of the Scriptures. I dare say most of you know five times more about your Bible outside of that one-fifth. And you cannot, by the study of the Bible outside of that one-fifth, ever know who Jesus Christ is. Awesome statement, isn't it? We'll get to the fulfillment of that statement shortly because that's the gist of all I'm talking to you about this week. You'll never know the real Jesus. They can write books on Him. History can be told thousands and millions of times. The Bible is still the number one seller in the world. 
But you'll never know that Jesus until you get him separated from Jesus of Nazareth and begin to listen to Paul. Because Paul is the first one that ever writes about that conference in heaven between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to digress on that statement just a bit to tell you about Brother John. You see, all epistles, rather all Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three Gospels was written after Paul's epistles were known, after his message was known. So they could have known all about Paul. John, however, didn't write his epistle till 30 years after Paul died. So in John's epistle, we have a whole different viewpoint. It's not like the other Gospels at all. In fact, it's not a historical record. As I said yesterday, John's Gospel begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is he going to do? Boy, he's going all the way back to that first meeting. He's the one that uses several times in his writings the word beginning. He's the one that said as we went through uh, yesterday, the father level of understanding is one who knows from the beginning. That's what I'm trying to bring to you in this conference. That you, you need to know from the beginning what God's doing that concerns you, not what He's doing with Israel. The day He chose Israel was an arbitrary thing. He decided that He had nobody for 2,000 years up to Abraham who loved Him and served Him, so He's going to set aside a whole nation and make them His chosen people and give them all the blessings and deal with nobody else. That wasn't a mistake, but that was His attempt to try to find a people who would love Him. They didn't, as was seen when Jesus came and they rejected their Messiah. John is the first to write about what it's all about. So he's a little different. That's why I keep pointing back to John. John is the bridge from Jesus of Nazareth to the Apostle Paul. He goes all the way over the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not the bridge. The book of Acts denotes the last days of Israel on this earth. A few of the things happen today that happen in the book of Acts, but not many, because that isn't the way God deals with humanity. Sometimes He does a great miracle, and I thank God for them, but that's not the way He deals with humans anymore. He doesn't have to prove Himself. He doesn't have to show who He is. We'll get to that a little later when we talk about the real Jesus. You see... God's finally found him a preacher. Someone who's going to tell the truth. When it pleased God, I'm back in Galatians 1, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. Oh, don't you see something? There were people in the Old Testament that found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but it's not grace like Paul found. Why do we make a distinction? Because in the Old Testament, the word grace translates mercy. Would you rather have grace of God or mercy? So, the grace of God is introduced when Paul receives his revelation. We're at the key point now of God's whole plan. He sent His Son, and His Son was not believed in. They didn't know who He was. They didn't know what He was doing. Think of that. God's own Son came and they didn't know. So now, on the other hand, God's going to raise up the most wicked man on earth and give him the message. People always say to me, why didn't He let Jesus do it? Jesus mentioned it a time or two, but no detail because He knew the time hadn't come that the message didn't belong to Israel. Grace does not belong to Israel because grace is our ticket to glory. Israel was an earthly people and was to remain that. They would get mercy from God right through the tribulation period 
the nation would find mercy from God and mercy from God in abundance during the millennium. Pleased. God was pleased when He pleased God. What was He pleased of? In our time, about 4,400 years has gone by since Adam and Eve. In our time, God has given us a tremendous book, this big book that we revere and love and believe is God's Word. But the thing He set out to do doesn't take place until He deals with this one man. Now this one man is as important to the message as Moses was to law. He's another man that God raised up with another gospel. First Moses. And I think I've taught that here before. Moses is just as miraculously raised up by God. Kept in a bulrushes as a little baby. Turned over to Pharaoh's daughter. Taken care of as a housemaid by his mother. What an awesome story that is. Because he's getting a messenger. He's getting the messenger that will bring the first gospel. Law. But now he's going to bring the final gospel. And he's raised up another man, just as miraculously, the meanest man on earth, but he's also the most educated man on earth. Has more formal education than anybody in the Bible. He's a different type man. He's a man that God wants, so he went after him. It pleased God, the Scripture said, to fit this man in. Could God have known that when they had this council meeting in heaven? When, when it is said that we were chosen to be in Christ before the world was created, could it be that God especially thought, I'm going to choose this one man. He's going to have a rugged life getting to where I want him to be, but I'm going to give him the contrast that is necessary, and I'm going to see the kind of love I need coming out of him. Chosen from his mother's womb. From the moment the mother conceived, it was a God thing. This is like Samuel of old, chosen. Paul was chosen. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Paul is unimportant. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. Because this same Paul is destined to say, and we'll get to it, he's destined to say eight different times, Follow me as I follow Christ. If you don't believe Him, you'll never get to Christ. He's chosen by God. He's the one to get us to the Father's house. He's not a caretaker of Israelites on this earth who are to be a chosen earth people. He is raised up by God in charge of a people who will be God's only birth children. Remember, Israel is never birthed children of God. They're never birthed. They're created. Never birthed. You are. You've been birthed by God. And our messenger is Paul. And the gospel he gives us is the final gospel of Jesus Christ to God's plan. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's wound and called me by His grace, to reveal His Son in me. You can't believe how awesome those words are. To reveal His Son in me. Just out of the clear, a very educated man who's been saved by God's grace on the road to Damascus maybe three years before. Can you imagine what he thought When it was said to him that Jesus Christ, whom you set out to destroy, lives in you. Two things in that. One thing, the one man I hated is to be my life. The one man I killed over is to be my life. 
or the other thing. Dear God, there's no science for this. There's no religion for this. To this date, religion has never figured out what it means to be in Christ. Never has figured it out. I've got over 25 books written with the name Paul in the title of the book. Not other one of those books have figured out what it means to be in Christ. Not a one of them honors a birthing. Some of them talk about being born again, but never talk about that birthing being the way Christ was put in us as the God seed and created another person in me. Never. When it pleased God, separated me from my mother's womb, called me by His grace to tell me something. Tell you what, Paul, I'm not going to give you something. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to do something new in you. I'm going to tell you something about you to reveal His Son in me. Those words didn't put Christ in Him. Those words told Him that Christ was in Him. That's significant. Look back three years. Day of Pentecost. 120. Later, 3,000 saved. Great day. The day of, first great day of Pentecost in the Scriptures. Great abundance of people. Building, shaking. Cloven tongues of fire. They're all talking in different tongues and languages. Great things are taking place. You know what really happened then? The Holy Spirit had come to do His work in human beings. What was that? To reveal that on that day, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they received Christ as their life. You know how I know that? Jesus said it. John 14 and 20. He says, On that day you shall know that I'm in you and you're in me. What day was He talking about in John's 14th chapter? The day of Pentecost. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're supposed to know that Christ is in you. Not that Holy Spirit is Christ, but that you were born again when you were saved. A new life put in you. You can't imagine what that means. It's not in your vocabulary to talk about it. It's not something science can talk about. No book writer, even as I said, the writer's own Paul, can't explain it. That's because they neglect to know what God's plan is. Every one of you sitting here have Christ in you. If you put a sign on your back and walk down the streets of this city, and that sign says, Jesus Christ lives in me, you know what would happen? The world that kind of laughs say, well, there goes an evangelical Christian. The other Christians that laugh and say, there's somebody out of line. They need to really get straightened out and take that sign off their back. Science would look at you and say, it's impossible. They would see right through it. You mean in you? You don't mean that it's just a figurative thing. That's what you mean in it. That's what it is. It's just a figurative thing. It's not real. Christ really isn't in you. You haven't been rebirthed. You're not born again. Those are words. What you need to do, friend, is get the Holy Ghost. Talk in tongues and you'll be something. I preached that long and hard. But they didn't know Jesus. They just knew who they were. They knew, I got power, I got tongues, I got this, I got that. They didn't know Jesus. They just knew more about themselves. You follow me? I'm talking to you about another gospel that's been hidden from us. Well, here Paul is. Christ is in him. What will he do with it? How will he handle it? Who in the world will believe him? He finally goes to the biggest preacher of the day, Brother Peter. Number one apostle and first pope. He goes to him and says, Peter, something's happened. A great thing has happened. 
You don't have to do anything about it yourself. God does it Himself. He bursts His Son in you. Boy, that comes against the green of this law preacher. No, sir. He says, I'm going to keep on preaching that believers have to do something to be saved. I'm going to preach circumcision. You feel led, Paul, you go preach uncircumcision. But I'm going to preach what you've got to do to be saved. You've been there. Some of you are there right now. That's the building you go to and that's the message in it. But dear friends, I'm here to tell you there's not one blessed thing you can do. When you accept Jesus, He does it all by the finished work of the cross and by nothing you do. So here we have it. We've come to the point that God's raised up His preacher who's going to tell the story of what happened in that council meeting before the world began. He's going to be the only one who ever talks about it. Because He's the only one God raised up to tell us about it. He'll have the final gospel for you and I. He doesn't have the final gospel for Israel. You have the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. You have all kinds of prophetic books. But they're already stated. They don't have a final gospel. They just tell things that are going to happen by the gospel that's already been given. But the final gospel belongs to Paul. The final gospel belongs to the born again. The final gospel is a different message altogether. And if you don't like me saying those things, the next book I put out will be entitled The Final Gospel. Because we're going to have to get it in this world what God is doing. We're going to have to understand it. What does it all come down to? It comes down to Jesus. When Paul has told these things, does he become a great house, great powerhouse, a great apostle, a great power? No. Seven times in his writings, he'll use this statement, I am nothing. If you leave this meeting thinking you're somebody, you're in the wrong gospel. If you leave this meeting thinking that God's done great things for you and you've got to get that word out, you're in error. The great thing about you is Jesus. That's the big thing about you. Christ in you is your hope of glory. Christ in you is your hope, period. Christ in you is your life. Get it fixed in your thinking. Get it fixed in your mind. It's just Jesus. That's what Christianity is. That's what Paul and Barnabas came to when they coined the word Christianity. They coined that word because it's just Jesus. Peter never came to it because he's still under the law. Good man. Saved. Born again. Never preaches it. Makes one statement and perhaps two about being in Christ, and he uses that as a salutation. James doesn't know a thing about it, and that's the half-brother of Jesus. But that dear John knows. He knows it. And you can know it too, because that's the only kind of salvation there is. It's Jesus. The only kind of life Paul says to live is Jesus. See, we've missed it. We thought if we were good Baptists, that's what we ought to be. I do my best. I go to meetings. I pay my tithes. I'm glad that's not in our grace terminology. We don't pay tithes. We love the Lord. The tithe came to people who didn't love the Lord. And the people who didn't pay them were struck down by the Lord. So we're in a whole different dispensation, you see. That's what grace is. You ought to thank God you live in grace and find out a lot about it. Because it's sure different than living under the law, even though our preachers keep giving us law every time they open their mouth. Think it over. It's Christ. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. Not Jesus only, because there's a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's just Jesus that's our life. Amen? All right. There's cooks that have prepared meals, and some of you brought them. Have a good time in the break here, and we'll be back in this room at 3 o'clock. God love you. Well, our time has run out for today. We're going to stop right here, but we will pick up next time 
right where we left off. Please let me remind you to visit our website, christ-life.org. Read all about this wonderful in Christ message that we're so excited about and one that Warren Litzman always dreamed of spreading to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're trying to do here with this podcast. Don't forget to go to the bookstore when you get into our website and look at some of the great material Warren left behind that you can have in your own home. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful messages. Also to Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful and talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life. 